The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. It's great to be with you. Excited to look at God's word with you. Let's pray and ask for help. Father, you're a communicating God. We love that about you. You want us to know you. Um, you speak into our hearts, our minds, our every situation. And uh, Father, we ask that you'd speak to us today as we come before your word. Please help me to teach this uh, faithfully and help all of us to hear what you have to say to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you're new with us, we're going through a, a sermon series we're calling Revitalize. And uh, the goal is that for each one of us, our relationship with God would feel that revitalization so that um, you'd have a new energy and a new passion um, in your connection with God. So even if you come in here and you're thinking, I don't think I have any connection with God, we're so glad you're here. Um, if you're struggling with that, we're glad you're here. We want to we just move forward together in this. And so we've been talking about prayer. Obviously, that's like the major connection between you and God, um, talking to him, hearing from him, prayer, talk, talking to God. And so if we're going to have our relationship with God revitalized, it's got to hit our prayer life, doesn't it? This is especially true because if we're honest, right, prayer is hard. Prayer sometimes is boring. Sometimes we're distracted. And so not only is prayer hard, today we're going to talk about the hardest part of something that's already hard, the hardest part of prayer, and that is this. It's hard to enjoy our relationship with God when we feel like he's allowed suffering in our lives, but has not answered our requests for healing or deliverance. Are you hearing me? Right? So, come on, we each have something like this in our life, right? You have, um, I don't need to be a prophet, you have suffering, you know? Um, no, you have something in your life that is very, very difficult. Uh, there was a dream or a hope you had that did not come into fruition. It doesn't look like it's going to. Or there is a difficult life situation where you don't think you're going to be able to, to get out. There's a relationship you are stuck with, and it's tough. Um, there's a physical issue that hurts, that holds you back. There's an emotional need. Maybe it's chronic depression. There's a situational need, something that happens, and you are hurt. You are suffering. And so then, of course, you, you prayed and you said, Lord, right? You said, God, help me, save me, heal me, fix this, change this. And you felt like he didn't answer. You didn't see a change, or maybe it got worse. And so you, God feels far away. You feel like God's not listening. You feel like God doesn't even care. You wonder if God is even real. You're angry at God, or you're you're bitter at God, or you're just, you're just distant. It doesn't seem like he loves you. Anybody ever felt that way? We've all felt that way. So here's the big question for this morning. This is, this is the whole point of this morning in this text. What, what are you supposed to do? What are you, what are you supposed to think when 
There's suffering in your life. You've asked God for deliverance, and he seems not to answer. What do we do? Well, we're going to get some help on this issue um, as we hear from somebody who knows this situation very well. So we're going to hear from someone who's been there. Sometimes I've spoken on suffering before, and I'll talk with someone afterwards, and it'll, I'll feel kind of shy because I haven't suffered nearly as much as that person has. And so I, I get it, right? I mean, I've, I've got my own. We all have our, our versions of suffering. But you might, you might think, well, you haven't suffered like me. How can you speak into my suffering? And I'll just admit, I probably haven't suffered like you. Um, but as we, as we come to listen to this person, the Apostle Paul, I think I can safely say two things about him. Number one, I don't mean to offend you with this, but I'm going to say it, okay? Number one, Paul probably loves God more than you. <laughs> I don't mean to be um, slapstick about this, but when you read Paul, right, doesn't he seem to kind of be burning with passion for Jesus all the time? You know, he gets stoned nearly to death, and the next day he's going to go preach again. That's what I'm calling in my retirement, right? Lord, I preached, I got stoned for you. Not that kind of stoned. Actually, rocks hit me. <laughs> Some people want the other kind of stone for Jesus. You know, we have to talk. No, I don't think that's right. Um, rocks actually hit me. I bled for you. Hey, I made it, right? Let's, let's call in the, the, the 401K or whatever. Uh, Paul gets up and goes and preaches the next day. Uh, he's got a different passion. And to be honest with you, Paul loves Jesus more than me. I'm okay with that. Because he's an apostle, right? And so his, his job description is to represent the Lord Jesus, to be um, an authority for the Lord Jesus. So we, we, we don't want to be like, well, I think I love God more than the apostle does. That would kind of, it wouldn't work. But here's the thing. Paul loves Jesus, okay? So you need to know this. And Jesus loves Paul, don't you think? Well, that's the apostle, right? Paul loves God more than you, probably, Number two, Paul suffered more than you, probably. Paul suffered more than you, probably. Let me show you some of these verses. This is from 2 Corinthians 11, 23 and following. Look at these with me. Paul's kind of giving a list of what he's been through as an apostle. Imprisonments, that's an S at the end, which means more than one. Countless beatings. How many times have you been up for Jesus? Not sure. Often near death. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Verse 26. Frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, Danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. It was, there's a theme there, right? Um, 27, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Paul loves Jesus. Jesus loves Paul. Paul has suffered deeply, which means already... Um, just because you love Jesus doesn't mean you won't suffer. It also means just because Jesus loves you, really loves you, doesn't mean you won't suffer. 
Another aspect of Paul's suffering I need to mention for background is Paul has experienced maybe the worst of all of these, which is betrayal. I think betrayal may be the worst suffering. Paul has known betrayal. And in this letter that we're in this morning, 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing a church he sacrificed for, he suffered for, he, he gave years of his life to them, and now they're betraying him for false teachers, false apostles. False teachers who are teaching a different gospel, a different Jesus. And so as we come to this text, we need to see Paul's in an awkward situation. He knows in his mind, okay, if this church I love so much, if they follow the false teachers, it's going to ruin them. They're going to believe lies about God and themselves. So I can't let that happen, too. So, so for their good, he, has to, he ends up having to defend himself in his own apostleship. You ever had to defend yourself? It's always awkward, right? Always awkward. And so Paul, the, the language he uses in this section in 2 Corinthians is, he has, to, he has to do the foolishness of boasting. Boasting is always foolish. Why would he want to do this? But he says to them, you forced me to it. I have to defend myself as an apostle for your own good, because I need you to trust what I'm saying and not what they're saying. Do you, does that make sense to you? So he has to defend himself to this church for their own good. The reason I bring that up is that at the heart of his defense, so he's basically saying, you guys should not listen to them, you should listen to me, he's defending himself, here's why, and at the, at the, at the heart of his defense is this boast. And at the heart of this boast... He's going to bring up this reality that he has suffered deeply and he asked God for healing and God said no. Okay? So Paul knows what it's like to suffer, suffer deeply, pray about it, not the answer you wanted to hear. He knows what it's like. And so we want to learn from him, learn from his words. Four things I want us to see this morning. Number one, uh, we're going to be talking about thorns. Okay, thorn is that wonderful image Paul gives of when something's really awful in your life. Thorns. So we're going to see, number one, the reality of thorns. That's the suffering. The reality of thorns. Number two, the messages in the thorns. There's, a, there's voices coming with these. Messages in the thorns. Three, how prayer, because we're talking about prayer, how prayer can transform the thorns. And four, because of the one who wore the thorns, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper today. So the reality of thorns, the messages in the thorns, how prayer can transform the thorns. So, we're, so again, we're going to be trying to answer how do we respond to when we suffer, we pray, it doesn't seem like God answers. So here we go. Number one, the reality of thorns. Please follow along with me. Verse, verse 7. A thorn, Paul says, was given me in the flesh. A thorn was given me in the flesh. So what is a thorn? Well, first thing to see, look at verse 10. Paul says, I'm content with weaknesses, and then he gives a little list. What do you see there? What's the first one? Insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. Each one of these is a different flavor of thorn, okay? So insults, does that bring suffering in your life? People slandering you all the time? You ever been in a situation like that? It was terrible, wasn't it? Your health can be great that day, but you feel sick. 
People are slanting you. Insults. What's the second one? Hardships. Hardships. Depression. Is that a hardship? It's horrible. An illness that won't go away. Is that a hardship? A handicap. A life situation. Hardships. It all fits. That's a thorn. The third one, persecutions, people hating you for your faith. This is a huge one for Paul. Constantly people hating him, trying to kill him. That's a hardship. It's a thorn. And then he says calamities. That's just when everything seems to fall apart. A crisis, a devastation, a thorn. So what's a thorn? It's a suffering of almost any kind, okay? A thorn. It hurts. Second thing to see about thorns, they make you weak. Paul's going to call them weaknesses. Three times it says weak. I'm weak, weak. Thorns make you weak, don't they? Don't they kind of like suck the strength out of you? They, uh, they steal your joy. They steal your hope. It seems to steal your capability to do other things. I'm just stuck. I'm like handicapped based on this weakness. A thorn, a suffering, it makes you weak. And Paul says, I have one. A thorn was given me. You know, we don't even really know what Paul's was. If you read commentaries on this, I'm sure you're all following along, reading all your commentaries every week. Um, you read commentaries on this, you'll get, you'll get scads of theories, and they're all, they're all very interesting. But I, for one, am super glad that we don't really know what Paul's thorn was here in this moment. I'm really glad, and I think he did that on purpose. Why is it? Why is he not, why is he not saying, well, it's this? The reason, folks, it's like this is because he's, he wants to draw you in so you can share this with him. If it was his of like, I'm an apostle and it's only a thorn apostles get, we don't be like, well, I'm not an apostle. It doesn't help me much. He says, no, it's a, it's a weakness. It's a suffering. He's drawing us in. You should see your situation like this too. Last thing to say about thorns is thorns hurt. So what do you think of when you thought of uh, a thorn? You ever go camping, you walk through the grass, and you get the little yellow thing, it's in your sock, and you're, you know, okay, a little sting in your undies, you know. Is that what it is? Well, the other way to use this word is like stake, the stake on which your enemy impales you. The stake, okay? So it's bigger than a, a thorn in your sock. It's more like a stake with which to stick you in the gut. And all it is is like, let's, let's be honest, Paul's saying, it hurts. It hurts. Uh, Paul says it's a thorn to, to buffet me or to harass me, and that's the word that was used when Jesus was getting beat up by the soldiers. So this thorn, you're like a boxer and you're losing and your enemy is just right-left combo on your head and you're just, you're falling over. That's what the thorn feels like. It's making you weak. It's knocking you out. It's knocking you down. It hurts. It's a suffering that hurts. Aren't you glad this is in the Bible? Because we have these. Thorns. They come. Reality of thorns, let's make it worse. Why does Paul have his thorn? Verse 7. A thorn was given me in the flesh. That given me is like present gift. Okay? And who gave it to him? Paul's not shy about this at all. Where did he get the thorn? God gave him the thorn. God gave him the thorn. 
And Paul's not guessing about this. Paul isn't, Paul isn't like, God was asleep. He forgot about me for a moment. Paul doesn't say, I've been a bad apostle. And this is what I get. It's not that at all. Okay, Don't we do that with our suffering? But it's from God. A present from God, the thorn in the gut. What? Remember, does God love Paul? Does Paul love God? Yeah? And what did God give Paul? The thorn. Paul's not shy about this at all. God gave this to me. Listen, at Fountain of Life, we don't believe in a little, like, wimpy God who can barely keep, keep things down with the universe. You know, we don't, we don't believe in a God who's, who's well-meaning but kind of weak and insecure. I'm not worshiping that God. Our God's in control. There's mystery there, but we know this. He's in control. And that means if you have a thorn, ultimately, ultimately, someone's overseeing that. Someone's sovereign over it. And it's God. He knows you have it. He's in charge of the fact that you have it. That's what Paul says. God gives thorns. The reality of thorns, they hurt. The reality, God gives them to people he loves. And then the third thing, verse eight, the the third thing about thorns, verse eight, look at this. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Three times. So what does Paul do? Three times. He's praying hard. He's probably fasting, looking at his life. He's probably spending hours, and he's asking God, please, please, this hurts. Please take this away. Have you been there? Please take this away. Please fix this situation. Please heal this person. Please work. Please, please, three times. Three times I pleaded. Which means, number one, when you have a thorn, what are you invited to do? Go ahead and pray that God would take it away. It's a great thing to do. You're allowed to do it. Do it. Pray for it. Pray over and over and over again. Keep praying that God will take it away. You know, a lot of times God delivers, doesn't he? Many times he does. It's like cancer season in our church right now, in our lives. I'm looking at these different stories. One's my dad. He had cancer. I'm thankful to tell you right now he's pretty much beat that cancer. He's doing great right now. He had, he had a thorn, right, of cancer. It was, he lost a lot of weight. He was in bad shape. He, he prayed. We worked. He did stuff. And now God has delivered. He doesn't, he's free from that thorn right now. Isn't that great? God delivers. A lot of you, you've beat cancer and many, many other thorns. Right? There are seasons in our life. Some are hard. Sometimes we, we make it through. Right? God delivers. It happens. But then there's, then there's Jerry. Right? He had a thorn, pancreatic cancer. It literally impaled him. It killed him. Did God deliver for Jerry? One aspect, you'd be like, God didn't answer that prayer. We asked God to heal him. Question, who's doing better right now, Jerry or my dad? Okay. <laughs> you laugh because you know the answer. What's coming for my dad later on? Hopefully it'll be like 50 years from now. But what's coming? Yeah, he beat this cancer. What's coming? Another thorn's coming, okay? He's not, did you know uh, Southern California is trying to convince you that through surgery and diet you can live forever? You can't. Another thorn's coming. Right? Delivered from one, another one's coming. Jerry, was he delivered? 
He doesn't have any more thorns coming. He's with the Lord. He's doing great. God delivers. Pray. Pray hard. But, verse 9, three times I prayed. Take this away. And God said, no, I'm not taking it away. You get to keep it. You get to keep it. You get to keep your thorn. Do you have a thorn like that? You feel like you're, you're getting to keep it. What is it? It could be that biological depression. It could be a hard marriage. It could be a physical illness. It could be financial trouble that never sees to go away. It could be someone in your life. It could be a handicap. It could be, it could be anything. It's a thorn. It's a weight. It hurts. You ask God to take it. He said no. It can be very discouraging. Very deflating. Here's the key thing with your thorn. How are you interpreting it? How do you interpret it? What do you let your thorn tell you about God? What do you let your thorn tell you about yourself? What do you let your thorn tell you about your relationship with God? Because the second point here is thorns come with messages. They come with ideas. They bring ideas and messages and feelings out in you. There are voices speaking to you in your thorn. How are you interpreting it? Look at these two voices, two messages Paul mentions in his thorn. Verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of who? Satan. So what's one personality involved in this thorn issue? Satan. You've heard of him, right? He wears a red suit, has a little tail, drinks Bud Light in hell with all the cool people, right? I don't think that's how it works. I don't think that's how it works. Satan is a spiritual being, a personality who wants to ruin you. And by the way, biblically speaking, should we be aware that there is a Satan who wants, to, who wants to get us? Look at these verses, John 10, 10. Jesus says this about Satan. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So what's Satan motive for you, by the way? It's good, right? He loves you and take care of you. No, he wants to wreck you. 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter writes to the churches, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour he wants to eat you for lunch. Okay, now how does Satan work usually? How does he work? Does he appear, you know, sulfur dripping from his fangs, his green scales, you know, uh, sacrifice cats in your front yard, you know, curses, Harry Potter curses? Is that how he works? No, no. It's much more insidious than that. Satan lies to you. He lies to you. That's his biggest weapon from the beginning. He lies to you. In the garden, Satan came to Adam and Eve, and he wanted to tell a lie, a real sweet-sounding lie. He lies to you, which means your thorn has messages, and some of them you cannot trust. 
You can't trust them. You can't trust every thought or every feeling or every sensation you have in the middle of a thorn. Because there is someone who wants to eat you and ruin you, and he does this by lying to you. He's going to lie to you about God. What's he tell you about God in the middle of a thorn? God hates you, right? God doesn't love you. God's word isn't true or helpful, man. You read all this stuff about joy in there, it's not, you know, that's bogus. You can't believe that stuff. God doesn't care about you, right? God's not good. God doesn't allow suffering. Watch the wrong preacher on TV, right? If you're suffering, you obviously don't know God. God wouldn't allow that. It's lies. Lies about God. He also tells you lies about yourself. What's he tell you about yourself in the middle of suffering? I'm a hopeless failure, right? I am a hopeless failure. I've messed it all up. I don't know what I did, but I did something to deserve this. I'm cursed. I'm ruined. I'm spoiled. I'm no good. It's not God telling you that. Or God just doesn't listen to me. I've failed him too many times. He doesn't hear what I have to say. Or maybe Satan switches around a little bit. You know what? I don't need God. Heck with him. I'm going to make it on my own. I can do it. I'll push through. I got it. Have you ever heard any of those voices in the middle of your thorns? you ever had any of those thoughts, those feelings? Maybe you heard something else. What was it? What's in your mind? How are you interpret, interpreting this thorn in your life? And I've got to ask you, what is the source of that message? Can you trust it? Folks, there's another message in the thorns. There's another message, and it's what God has to say. God has a message for you in your thorn, and I'm praying that God will just speak this to you in a powerful way right now. How do we hear what God has to say? Should you, you know, go camping, go to the top of a mountain, wait for a vision? I wouldn't rely on that. What else are you going to do? Should you make it up? God's just an echo of you, so what you want, that must be what God thinks too. Did you make it up? Your own God? No. How do we know what God has to say? He's given us his word. That's why Paul is doing this very thing in this chapter. I'm the apostle, guys. Trust me, because God speaks through me. That's why I need you guys to trust me. This is, this is what God has to say. We know what God says through his word, through his word. And this is what God says to you in the middle of your thorns. Verse 7. Look at this incredible line. So to keep me from becoming, what? Conceited. Paul gave Paul, sorry, God gave Paul a thorn. And one reason why is what? God is protecting Paul from something worse. He is protecting Paul from something worse. Paul talks about the surpassing greatness of these revelations. Okay, Earlier in the chapter, Paul tells you he had this experience of being in heaven and it was so real and so powerful he didn't even know if it was a vision or not. He may have been there. He's not sure. He tells you almost no details about it, which is very interesting because right now you can go get a bunch of books on like 90 minutes in heaven, 90, you know, go see a movie. 
okay? Paul never wrote a book about it, never wrote, never made a movie about it. He's very shy about it. He doesn't even want to talk about it. Later on, he says, I don't want you to judge me based on this vision I had. Judge me by how I live and what I say. Very shy about it. Very shy. But it was very real. And from this moment in heaven with God, Paul says, I could have become what? Conceited. Now, isn't that ironic? You could be in the presence of God and have that turn that in, and have that turn into pride. You ever been proud about how how humble you are in comparison to other people? Suck on that for a moment. Who's the most humble person in the room? It's definitely me. Right? This shows you how insidious pride is. Right? Insidious. It sneaks in everywhere. Are you never? Are you ever not? prideful if a vision of god can make you conceited right conceit is always there waiting pride pride and god thinks pride is the worst thing that could ever happen to you uh when satan comes to adam and eve what does he say you could do this whole thing where you're satisfied and submitted in the real god or try this on you could be like god that one today awesome who doesn't want to be god now you don't say that right you don't say oh i'm god but that's what your pride is saying right pride says i know i decide i control i can do it i get the recognition pride probably the root of all other sins and it's the one thing that can keep you from the grace of God. Do you know that? It's the one thing that can keep you from the grace of God. Jesus had to say to the Pharisees, I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners. What was he saying to them? Was he saying, oh, you guys are righteous. You don't need me. Don't sweat it. He wasn't saying that at all. He's saying he came for people who know they're sinners and they're humbled by it and they know they need him. And he's saying, if you think you're fine without me and you think you don't need me, you won't get me. It's the thing that keeps you from God's grace is pride. Or James 4, 6. Look at this. God opposes the what? The proud, but gives grace. His undeserved love, his blessing, his favor to whom? The humble. You see, God loved Paul so much that he wouldn't let Paul become conceited. God was protecting Paul and the Corinthians and every other church in the New Testament and you and I. He was protecting him. And so what did he give him so that he won't become conceited? A thorn. Mm. To weaken him. To hurt him. God's protecting him. That's a, that's a hard thing to hear. It's hard to believe that God, his love for us. Like, what do you love more, your comfort or your humility? I'll take comfort for 500, please. Okay? But God actually loves you. And what does he care about more for you? Your comfort or your humility? Your humility. He cares about your humility. 
And so God's message in the thorn for Paul is, and Paul heard it, I'm protecting you. Are you willing to believe this? How has a thorn in your life affected your character? Now, for some, it, it depends on what voices we're listening to. If you're listening to the wrong voices, it can make you terribly bitter, terribly hopeless. But if, you, if you're open to the right voice, God's voice, in your thorn, it can change your character. I've seen this happen in your lives. I've seen it happen in my family's life. My brother is very handicapped. And I've seen my dad's character transformed over the years. Transformed. Far more wise, far more humble, far more compassionate, far more patient. My dad was a uh, Navy fighter pilot, flew A-7s off aircraft characters, or aircraft carriers, okay? I don't think humility is like one of the uh, <laughs> resume ingredients for that job, right? He was, well, he, was, he, was, he was a top gun, okay? Literally. And prideful, Probably. And it's thorn. You think it's a thorn? You think he hasn't prayed 10 million times for my brother? You don't think he hasn't cried out? What did God say to some of those prayers? Keeping it. It's changed my dad and my mom's character and probably mine in some ways. Was it love? What has God done in you through your thorn? Moreover, what would you be like if you never had any thorns? I've got my own story. I'm not going to share it all right now, but I'm deeply convinced that this is a reality. God did not give me everything I hoped for and wanted. And if he had, I would be a total jackass. <laughs> Pride unfettered. I'd be ruined. I'm thankful he didn't give me everything I long for when I long for it. God is protecting us. That's one thing God is saying. I hope you can hear it. But not only that, God also says this. Look at verse 9. He said to me, what does God say? We read this out loud with me, verse 9, because this isn't just God's message to Paul, it's God's message to you. But he said to me, let's read it, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God said to Paul, okay, I'm taking this away, whatever it was. But I'm not ignoring you, and I'm not leaving you. In fact, I'm giving you what? I'm giving you my grace. I'm giving you myself, my love, my presence. And it will be what? Sufficient. It will be enough for you. It will be enough. You'll have what you need. I'll be there. I'll supply your needs with my love. You know, when, when everything's going all right in our lives... God warns us of this tons of times in the scriptures. When everything goes all right in our lives, we tend to think, I tend to think, I got this. Do you go that way too? 
I got this. Look at me. I'm so skilled and strong and smart and young and beautiful. And I got it. Okay? And, I, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I believe in God and thank God for all his gifts. And I mean that, right, at the time. Thank God. Okay? But when the thorn hits your ribs and you're made weak and you're not strong and you can't do it and it's not working, where do you have to go? Do you tend to pray more when everything's going right or when things get a little rough? Do you tend to want to seek God, question him, look for him, need him, lean on him when you got it or when it's tough? He's, he's saying, this is, you guys, we don't pray because God won't know stuff if we don't tell him, right? Why do we have to tell God everything if he's all-knowing? God's not a math equation, okay? Prayer is relational. Prayer is, come get in my face, I'll get in yours. Listen to me, lean on me, trust in me, yell at me, look for me, seek me, find me. And in our thorns, God is saying, yeah, I took that away, but I'll give you me. And I guess the first thing is a question, is that enough? Would you be content to trade that thing that you hope for, you long for, you wish you had, and receive God himself in its place? My grace will be sufficient for you. Do you hear God's message to you? Thorns come, they come with messages. God's message is, I'm protecting you, I'm working on your character, and I'm here with you and I'm enough. So, listen, has God ever ignored you if you're in Christ? Has he ever once ignored you? He's never ignored you. He's never ignored you. His word is true for you. In Christ. And this is his promise to you. And it comes in prayer, right? What was Paul doing? The thorn came? I prayed. I prayed. I prayed. And I heard God. He spoke. He spoke. He spoke. Pray the word. Pray this book in your thorn. And hear his voice telling you of his love, his story. And this is where prayer is seen to be truly powerful because we see the thorns transformed. Thorns discourage us. They beat us down. They make us weak. Look what Paul does in verse 9. This is, this is crazy talk. Therefore, I will, what? Boast all the more gladly. Have you ever heard anybody boast gladly? To boast is to point out something of great value to you that you're happy about. It's the cigars when the sun is born. Look at my boy, right? I'm boasting gladly. There he is. Check this out. And Paul says, therefore, I will, I will boast most gladly of what? I'm an apostle, a great apostle. I'm a great speaker. I've planted 83 churches. I wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. That's kind of cool, right? What does he say he boasts about? I will boast most gladly of my weakness. The thing that was a discouragement, the thorn in the side, has now become, hey, look at this. Look at my thorn. Let me tell you about my weakness. Why? 
so the power of Christ may rest on me. When I'm weak because of the thorn and I rely on God's grace, I have a different power I never had. I thought I was strong when I had it all together. That was just a facade. Okay? Now that I'm weak and I know I need it and I'm relying on his grace, I have a strength that's deeper and bigger and stronger than I ever had before because I'm relying on the one who's truly strong. Through relying on God's grace in the midst of thorns, God will be more real to you. Your faith will be more, more gritty, more alive, more traction because you're leaning on him, you're trusting him, and you're relying on his grace. And I think your, ident- your sense of identity changes. All right? If your identity is in how young and beautiful you are and you have a car accident or a, a, a deep illness, and what do you do now that you're not young and beautiful anymore? Now what? If your identity was how successful your career was and the economy turns over and you lose everything, now what? If your dream was to have it all together and you don't have anything together now, now what? And my little thorn took me to the place of realizing that my identity is Christ and Christ alone, and that's enough. It's enough. And so, yeah, successes are joyful and failures are discouraging, but it doesn't own me. I'm free from it now more than I used to be. His power is more perfected in me through the thorn. And so he boasts in it. He boasts in it. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. So he says, for the sake of Christ then, I'm content with weaknesses. So he, he still prays for deliverance, but he's not. Do you know the crisis in your heart when you're not content in the weakness? It, you're right on the tipping point of, I failed, God doesn't love me, God's not with me, everything's falling apart, it's over, it's ruined, there's no hope. I'm not there anymore, Paul says. I'm content, I'm okay. I'm okay with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I'm weak right there, subtext, and relying on God's grace, then I'm what? I'm strong. I can make it. I can make it through the thorn because of God's love for me and his presence with me. I can walk right through it. I'm strong. His power's perfected in my weakness. And Paul says it's for the sake of Christ. You know, here's something you miss a lot. You're familiar with the book of Job. Job has the life none of us. You know, Joel Osteen writes the book, The Life You've Always Wanted or whatever. And Joel Osteen writes, or Job writes the book, The Life You Wish You Hope You Never Have. Right? Which one's in the Bible? <laughs> uh, and Job has it all fall apart. We forget the first two chapters. You remember what happens? They're so weird. You remember what happens in the first chapter of Job? Uh, Satan comes to God and and God says, yo, man, look at my guy Job. That boy loves me. And Satan says, well, that's just because you give him everything. And so the question right there at the beginning of the book is, is God worth loving for himself if he doesn't give you all the other bonus stuff? So God says, all right, mess with him. So Satan messes with him, takes everything but his health. Satan comes by again. God's like, boy still loves me. Satan's like, well, he's got his health. God says, all right, don't kill him. But what's the, what's the question at that book? Is God worth it? Is God really worth it? That's the question. 
And Job never hears those first chapters. He doesn't realize that there's there's this humongous metaphysical debate going on. Is God worth it? And Job is the case study. Is God worth it? We've heard it. And look what Paul says. For the sake of Christ, I'm content with my weakness. You know, the Bible tells you that you see the glory of God in a lot of places. The heavens declare the glory of God. Amen, right? A sunset, the ocean, the mountains, wildlife, God is glorious. Amen, there he is. We see his glory in all his good gifts. He gives us so many wonderful things. All our successes, all our health. Praise God. It's his gift, right? It's good. But if you really, if you really want an insider secret on where to see the glory of Jesus, you know where it'll be? It'll be in you, and you and you, in your thorn, when everything's taken away. And all the stuff the world wants, you don't have it. And then you still say, Christ is enough. I still have what I need because I have him. Then everybody's like, what? I don't get it. Right? The, the world can get coming to God if God gives you all the stuff we want, right? Oh, sure, I'll come to God for that. Jesus the middleman gives me what I really want, health, wealth, and everything else. But what if we don't get any of this and then it's just Jesus? And in the hardship, you as a believer, you say, yeah, it's killing me. It's a thorn. It hurts. I prayed it would go away. But I can boast in it because I'm telling you right now. Jesus is enough. You glorify God in that moment in a way that is brilliant and unique and wonderful. And God finds it beautiful and glorious. So my friends, in the thorn, God has never ignored you. And it's not that he doesn't love you. It's the opposite. Hear his message in the thorn and realize he may be protecting you. He's promised his grace is with you. Pray to him. Hear his voice. Call out to him. And maybe through his grace, what was discouraging will become a boast. As you say, Jesus is enough. And you know, it's amazing. We can have this because of the one who took the thorns for us. You know, there's another story in the Bible of someone who God loves a whole bunch and who loves God a whole bunch, gave a prayer and was told no. Do you remember where it was? Jesus in the garden. Does God love Jesus? A little, right? Does Jesus love the Father? Yeah. And Jesus said, if it could be your will, could you let this thorn pass? And the Father said, no, because Jesus was wearing that thorn for you. Jesus was ignored so that you would be heard. Jesus was forsaken so that you would be accepted. Jesus was denied so that you'd be embraced. If you don't know him today, then trust in the one who lived the life you couldn't live in your place. Died on the cross for you, taking upon himself the wrath you know you deserve for your sin. He rose from the dead in victory. And the promise is, is if you trust in him, if you just put your faith in him for what he's done and say, I need you, I can't do it, I look to you. You're forgiven, you're loved, you're adopted. And you could know that you'll never be outside of that father's love. And even in the midst of thorns, 
His grace will be sufficient. His grace is enough. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, you wore the thorns for me. And you give out your thorns in your love. Help us to hear you. I pray for my friends here, Lord. I don't know what they're suffering, maybe. But it's awful sometimes. I just pray for each one of us that we'd be able to hear your voice. Jesus, that we see what you've done for us and we'd trust you. We'd know you love us. We'd know you love us. And then also that we would, we would listen to you from this passage and know that you're involved in our lives. You're involved in our stories. You're protecting us. You're working in us. And you're giving us this opportunity to glorify you even in our sufferings. We thank you for this. Help us to believe it. We pray it in your name. Amen.